Welcome to FRT, the IIF's podcast at the intersection of finance, regulation, and technology. I'm Jessica Hernier, Managing Director of the Digital Finance Team here at the IIF. We have two guests on with us today. First, we're here with Daniel Wu of Amazon Web Services, where he is Head of Financial Services Public Policy for Asia Pacific. In this role, Daniel works with public sector clients to support digital transformation of financial services using the cloud. And specifically, Daniel drives AWS's public policy and government affairs strategies as they pertain to the banking, payments, capital markets, and insurance sectors. We're also thrilled to have Yuhang Zhang join us today. Yuhang is a partner at Boston Consulting Group based in Hong Kong and leads the Digital Asset and Web3 Capability Center in Asia Pacific, which seeks to develop BCG's expertise in emerging digital topics and to share that experience with clients. Yuhang advises companies on their Web3 and blockchain strategies and more broadly on their investments in digital assets and related technologies. Welcome, Daniel, and welcome, Yuhang. Let's start today with an overall observation. Finance and technology have always had a symbiotic relationship. I wonder if you could each tell us the top two technologies that, in your view, will be the most important for financial services in the next year. Daniel, why don't you start with two of them? Certainly. It's a pleasure to be here on the IIF's podcast on this really interesting topic. Before I kick off, I share some overarching views on how the landscape is changing. As one of the members of the AWS public policy team, we have the unique privilege of engaging central banks and financial regulators around the world and for us here in Asia Pacific to help them understand how the cloud might be used to accelerate financial services innovation across the multiple domains you mentioned, banking, capital markets, payments, and insurance. One of the things increasingly we encounter in these conversations is regulators ask them, as the future of finance, money, and the internet intersect, what can policymakers take away from this convergence and what can they do as a response to this? Throughout these conversations, there are two particular things that jump up in almost every conversation. The first is security, the second is resiliency. And that makes a lot of sense. That tracks the trajectory of the financial services industry, where historically, regulators are focused on stability, and rightly so. And regardless of where the future might change as it develops, as we embark on this learning together, this will remain the two of those fundamental features of whether it's decentralized finance, it's centralized finance, some kind of hybrid, some kind of coexistence. We still see those two themes as the two emerging topics as the future grows. So when we look at that, we believe as the cloud service providers, we have a very important role to play delivering on those two concepts. Regardless of whether the technology will change or not, those two concepts will remain fundamental. And for AWS, as the cloud service provider that we were founded many years ago, our mission to achieve those two goals by our traditional financial institutions or fintech customers hasn't changed. We work backwards on the customers. We try to understand what are their goals. And then we want to empower them to build world-class solutions with effective tools to help them achieve and evidence security and compliance, no matter how they may change. Likewise, when we work with regulators, we want to help them understand how this unique convergence will affect the financial system. And most importantly, how can we harness benefits while managing the risk? And that's what AWS is really interested in. 
So you hung, I imagine that you have also a pretty good perspective on kind of setting the scene of the policy environment in Asia Pacific. Are there two technologies that in your view you see as being most important for financial services in the next year or so? Absolutely. For financial service specifically, I think there are two areas of technology which are quite interesting, right? So the first one is AI and the second one is blockchain-backed technology. I think the AI one is relatively obvious on how it can be disruptive with the rise of like OpenAI and ChatGPT. I think let me elaborate a bit more on the blockchain one. When we think about blockchain, there is two ways where it actually going to be very, very different from a financial institution point of view. The first one is around the Web3 revolution. As Web3 application and the whole ecosystem aim to replace Web2 application. And I don't think it's going to be 100% as Web2 has not replaced Web1 100%. But as Web3 take more share and we'll know if they're going to be successful in two years because essentially they have two to three years of runway and all the fundraising has been done in 2021. You will see a paradigm shift in the way financial services are provided because Web2 apps still use traditional financial services. For instance, if you want to pay on a Web2 game or web game, you still swipe your credit card, right? If you want to access e-commerce, you still actually use the NPL or fintech services. But as you move into Web3 applications, those financial services might not be needed because users would be able to directly transfer value using wallets, right? I think that's a fundamental change in the way financial services in Web3 application is provided. The second way is slightly a bit more obvious, is the direct implication and the transformation of the provision of financial service, which is how blockchain would allow you to do things faster, more efficiently, right? And even to the point to invent new business model. Some of those examples we've seen already today, for instance, for remittance, where the cost of remittance could be 10 times lower versus what's existing today. But at the same time, you will see the cost actually being decreased to such a point that you will see new business model. Things like you know, tokenized equity assets or tokenized stocks. Those could be very, very interesting going forward. So I think those are the two main areas we see blockchain making a huge impact in financial services. Two very key areas for certain. In that context, let's go back to Daniel. As you think about cloud's role and how cloud's role is evolving in financial services, given that there are developments in AI, in blockchain technology, in other kinds of finance, decentralized finance. I know last year we, we saw each other in uh, Bangkok at the event that we co-hosted together on examining the cloud's transformational impacts to financial services and specifically in the context of decentralized finance and Web3. And many public sector participants characterize their attitudes, at least in those areas, as kind of a, a clearly there would be an impact, but too early to tell exactly where it, it would go and that folks needed to still get a little bit more comfortable with the application of cloud, perhaps in, in those particular concepts that are very new, right? Decentralized finance, Web3, et cetera. They also pointed to key questions around cybersecurity and data privacy 
privacy perspectives and topics like that. Do you think that these attitudes will remain the same in the coming year? How do you see attitudes around these questions evolving? You know, it's really tough to overstate how transformational cloud could be and has been to date. Those are really strong observations. For the Bangkok summit, where we had the opportunity to convene financial institutions and financial regulators across Asia Pacific together with the IF, I think that was a really helpful common ground for us to explore and tease up some of these concerns as much as understanding some of the benefits. I think I would characterize the state of play as having an open mind, but perhaps not necessarily an open door. And in order to shift that state of play, part of that involves sharing research, sharing experiences, jointly exploring some of those questions. For example, when we look at the cloud, is it accelerating risk or is it actually a net reducer of risk, no matter how you architect your applications or exploit its application in the use of financial services? One of the areas where I think I took away from that conversation is that you know, more research is needed. That's why last year we were really proud to support the IIF in exploring this area of how decentralized finance, Web3 technology stack has potential applications and implications for the financial services industry and the regulators to regulate them. And that report has been incredibly helpful in helping regulators have a primer to share with other central bankers and regulators, their peers, their experts to understand how this is going. So as we embark on this journey together, one of our key takeaways was that the future is still developing. And that's really interesting because for us, it's a learning journey. And one of the areas where for myself and my colleagues in the public policy team, we look at this as an opportunity to be the best in class, trusted advisors to regulators to understand how they might make sense of this convergence of finance, technology, and money as well as helping them, most importantly, make resilient policy decisions. I conceptualize this because resilient here in my head think means regulators want to make great decisions, great policy decisions, regardless of the economic upturns or downturns, it needs to make sense whether, whether it's up or down. So in order to do that, our goal remains simple here. When we engage with regulators, we try our best to get and deliver the best policy and regulatory outcomes for our financial services, and fintech customers to build on the cloud. No matter where the future goes, we very consciously want the cloud to be able to be used by any customers of any kind for any use cases. And in order to deliver on that, we always talk about the interlocking fundamentals of the hyperscale cloud model, as well as what AWS does specifically differently. And within that context, help drive this convergence in a way that's actually productive rather than exacerbating some of the risk factors or overstating some of the benefits. We want to make sure that we're able to factually explore some of these concerns and then turn that into something that will be a step change for the industry as a whole. So that's actually a great conduit back to AI. AI is certainly a hot topic of this year and will continue to be. And Yu Hong, you brought it up. Artificial intelligence, of course, and machine learning at scale in terms of processing and finding interesting insights in data at scale requires a lot of computing power and certainly is very connected to then computing power that is generated from or, or using the cloud that is hosting much of the data that we now 
you know, store today and that financial services use and process. So how are your clients thinking about the connection there? What are they doing in AI and some of the challenges that they face moving forward? Thanks for asking. So first of all, I think AI is a very interesting topic, right? I think obviously generative AI has become a hot topic because of open AI. But we have to realize that most of the institutions have started using AI in one format or another one already a few years ago, right? And obviously that relates to the fact that you have use cases in AI that go way beyond the pure generative part of it, right? So for instance, customization, right? The fact that you basically uh, process a lot of data and can process somehow you know, a, a very tailor-made recommendation for you, right? Everything that basically an Amazon Echo, you know, can react and learn and be personalized to your individual need. The fact that some of the risk management can take into account and learn the behavior of a certain driver in order to basically customize an insurance to that specific person, right? So I think AI has actually has now very, a very extensive range of use cases, even before ChatGPT. But now I think what's revolutionary is the generative part of it, right? And the reason why it's so disruptive is because not only can you accelerate what you used to do before, right? But what you can also do is really reshape the whole workflow that you have. And that's, that's quite revolutionary from a process point of view. So where we believe actually it will be some changes is how AI could change the whole organization of the whole bank and how day-to-day activity within a bank can be shaped thanks to AI. And Daniel, are you thinking about AI as well at AWS, I would expect? Yes, certainly. I always talk about it like this. We work backwards on our customers, so we try to immerse ourselves in the shoes of our customers who sit in financial services or fintechs. And AI is one of the top trends that our customers are thinking about to deploy in a very effective way and useful way. For us, we see more holistically on how can financial institutions have a modern data strategy, whether it's storing it, processing it, gathering insights for it, and then transforming into something, for example, using machine learning models and then generate AI, for example, is another case that we just talked about earlier. So in those areas, our customers think about it. Likewise, we, again, sit at that unique ne- in the middle of that unique nexus of the banks, the regulators, and we have to try to make sense of it, right? Because our customers tell us that we want to use the cloud. You know, cloud simply helps us achieve scale and resiliency that, for example, AI, that we otherwise couldn't achieve with our on-premises data centers. So cloud service providers have a role to play in educating regulators about how they should be thinking about AI. And one of the areas where we think we're starting to find interesting place to support this is, for example, when regulators drive some conversations about governance, ethics, standards around AI. So for example, the Monetary Authority of Singapore has done so, and we've been a member of that task force. It's a privilege to be part of it. And likewise, we're attempting to clone and scale some of that learnings across the region, across the world, and trying to identify what makes the most sense and how can we actually harness the benefits of it while managing some of that risk away. So Yu Hong, let's turn back to digital assets. How are you know your your clients that are navigating the oncoming digital asset environment? I know in the US we hear a lot of chatter first about crypto winter and then more crypto ice age and then crypto not exactly certain how the industry will move forward 
in in the coming months. But in you know APAC, APAC may be taking a little bit of a different approach than some of the U.S. regulators. So with that, how are some of your clients and your work impacted by how APAC is approaching the space with respect to digital assets? I think a few things which are important, right? So I think. First of all, obviously, you have a lot of bad news in the market, and I think we have to acknowledge that, right? And, you know, when you double-click on those bad news, some are actually intrinsically linked to some maturity issue of the technology, right? When you think about wherever it's hack, failure in systems, in in some, you know, uh, blockchain system that's actually related to technology, right? Others are more linked to centralized entities, right? So whatever you heard about blockchain, Silvergate, or, you know, FTX are more linked to fraud. But the way people look into it is what's beyond that, right? What's beyond all the fog that is provided by all those news, right? And there is two angles to, to look into that. The first one is what if it becomes something big, right? What if, if one day blockchain and DeFi become something which is really, really big, and that's fueled by obviously geopolitical issues. As you have a more decoupled world, you have actually a higher need for decentralized money. But it's also driven by the fact that there is a lot of talent, a lot of money that went to a space. So what if it becomes a, the new players of tomorrow start to emerge? I think that's one consideration. And the second consideration of it is what if you can leverage the user base that you have today and leverage that technology to leapfrog other players and entirely reshape the competitive landscape? That's, you know, despite the fear, what some of the players are really thinking about. What if I'm a number 10 player and thanks to that technology, I can become a number two player? And that could be interesting. From a regulation-wise, I think obviously it's there is a lot of ambiguity. Some countries are slightly more bullish, the other one are more conservative on that. But what's becoming clear is regulatory clarity, i.e., can you do it or not? Or what can you exactly do? That will come in the next 24 months, right? Irrespective of countries. The level of granularity on those clarity is very unclear, but at least as soon as you have regulatory clarity, all the financial institution or large player or tradfi, as you call it, will make bold move in the, in the space, right? Because they will know things that they can do or cannot do. Therefore, as someone who's trying to take over this opportunity, you should think very, very hard on what can I do between now and the next 24 months? Do I need to you know, have some bet into it? Do I need to wait and see? But then at the risk of being, you know, pushed around that competition, that's actually some of the strategic question that a lot of people are asking themselves. So following up on that question, actually, Yuhong, there has been some difference in opinion from people who assert that, well, they like blockchain technology, but they don't necessarily want to use digital assets associated with it. They, you know, the technology is good, but they don't want to focus on um, digital assets. And then others who assert that blockchain technology is really no good without 
digital assets running on on top of it and that you can't really decouple the two in the way that that folks are talking about. So your firms that are looking to use blockchain technology, are any of them not necessarily looking to maintain digital assets on the technology or or do blockchains and digital assets go hand in hand for your clients? I think the way we look into it is the following, right? So I think fundamentally What's so revolutionary about the blockchain technology? There are like three components out of it. One is somehow a supercharged database, right? It's a ledger that you cannot change. The second thing is the smart contract. So essentially a program that is executed automatically. And third, which is the result of the first two, is essentially all the application system, the protocol layers, application layer that you've heard about, right? And the way we think about it is uh, we're going to enter a world where all of those will actually coexist, right? And some players might just use the blockchain as a supercharged database and gain efficiency by transferring value without intermediary. Others will have proxy of existing assets and tokenize them and swap them with smart contracts. So for instance, you can have, you know, CBDC, which is the equivalent of central bank digital money, right? And swap them with STO, right? A stock which is tokenized. And, you know, and then you can do it with smart contract without all the intermediary of the settlement, clearing house, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, that's one model which will be ongoing. We believe that that model will start to apply first for the white space. What do I mean by white space is not the existing asset or existing pie, but to grow the new pie, right? So for instance, illiquid assets, private equity as an example, or private debt as an example. Those are the, the assets which have actually need, which are big enough, but are underserved by the current technology because of cost and liquidity reasons, right? But that new technology can start to basically address those pain points. At the same time, there is more controversy on whether volatile assets, volatile crypto assets will exist and coexist with you know, the use of smart contract and blockchain. And here, I think it's a bit more controversial, but our opinion is that it will not disappear. It will still be present. The question is how big. And there is two reasons. The first one is because of the geopolitical tension. As you move to a world which is more decoupled, you have individual country which will be underserved by the traditional financial system. And they will rely more and more for at least a part of the economy on purely decentralized assets that nobody can freeze and that can work 24-7. Right? And you've seen example of that in very small country for the moment. But you know, that's just the, the proof that it can exist. It's a question of size. And the second thing that gives actually some hint that it could exist is essentially the money, all this fund that actually invest in the Web3 economy, right? All those Web3 startups will at some point launch a token. And that token, uh, whether it's NFT, whether it's you know a utility token, would actually accrue some value. So what we believe is whether it's going to be World 1 or World 2 will take over, that's uncertain. But what we have a relatively high level of confidence is that both will coexist. 
And Daniel, so moving back to you then, how is AWS approaching some of these questions and and particularly in APAC? And are there any jurisdictions in particular in the area that you think merit special attention for either work they've recently done or just because you think that they'll have some pretty important developments in the coming year? Thank you, Jessica. You actually mentioned so many interesting concepts that we at Amazon Web Services discussed frequently with our customers as well as regulators. And one, one concept that I'd like to just kick off with is we always say there is no need to boil the ocean. So oftentimes when regulators are introduced with the concept of blockchain, DeFi, Web3, all those Anderson topics, it often triggers this knee-jerk reaction that this is suddenly going to create an upheaval throughout the industry where it wipes the slate clean and we're starting off an entirely decentralized finance world for a particular country or for the rest of the world. That's not true. One of the areas that we've seen is that out much of the industry is still on the learning journey and they're increasingly getting better at communicating with regulators what their visions and aspirations are and then connecting that with the current uh, traditional financial environment. So for example, uh, the IAF had a podcast earlier in the season where the IAF and a speaker from Citibank explored the potential pivot to a wet 2.5 instead. And I think that has a similar parallel to the conversation we're having today, is that we don't necessarily, again, need to blow the ocean, but let's take steps at a time and not be paralyzed by the influx of information, but rather, where can we experiment and then allow that? So Yu Hong earlier mentioned about regulatory clarity, which I love how he broke down into to two layers. One is, can I do it? And the second one is, well, if I can, then what exactly can I do to what extent to my debt? So here at AWS, for myself sitting in the public policy team, we speak to regulars about this a lot. And we often say to the extent possible, in addition to making resilient policy decisions, it's also important to develop future-proof regulations to a foreseeable extent. We can't always be 100% certain where the future will go, but we need to consider how we can adopt some risk-based, agnostic, clearly defined regulations that allows the industry to innovate and not be held back by fear, uncertainty, and doubt about what the regulator is comfortable with. One of the areas that I, I love to point out is that many regulators actually are embracing, again, I mentioned earlier, an open mind where they actually want to hear from the industry who's innovating, who's experimenting, who's trying to supercharge financial services with these new technologies. They want to hear from them how it might affect the financial system and then explore those conversations together and then figure out where to go from there. When regulators look at policy, for better or worse, the nature of their role is that they are making what we call Amazon one-way door decisions. Oftentimes, regulation once it goes out, it's impossible or very, very hard to reverse. Uh, those are called one-way door decisions. And the nature of regulators is that because they're in that position, their role is mandated as such that they have to make this one-way door decisions about policy and regulation, at least in the short term. It causes them to really think carefully. Sometimes perhaps we sometimes see an overcorrection about where they might see some of those risks, and then they overcorrect for it. And then it becomes a chilling effect across the industry. I, here at Amazon, you know, we, we obviously don't want any of that for our customers, for the regulators. We want to make sure that it's flexible enough, again, technology agnostic and risk-based, so that regulators can make really informed decisions. It's a learning journey, 
we can dynamically calibrate policy and regulations as it, as it evolves. You know, many, many jurisdictions have already done that. For example, one of the areas I could applaud is the, the Monetary Authority of Singapore, who has done a lot of work building that ecosystem, building that platforms for conversations that allow us to learn and share with each other on how the future might grow and then how central banks might take away from that and make, again, resilient policy decisions. Fantastic. So closing out, just a couple of questions or one for each of you. As we think about technology for financial services, are there any applications that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet today, but that you really wish that more people were talking about? Kind of like that piece that hasn't gotten highlighted as much in the news and headlines and whatnot, but the trend or development or thing that you see coming that you really think that more people should be focused on. I think there is a few things I would say in terms of regulation, right? It's not a one or zero type of approach, right? And there is a few, I would say, building blocks that can help fuel the ecosystem, right? And and when I say fuel the ecosystem, it could be, you know, institutionalized blockchain enabled application versus purely, you know, the crypto world that we know today, right? And I think one of them is CBDC and the concept of programmable money. Right. So essentially how you can use government backed money to be used directly onto the blockchain and in smart contracts. The second one is digital identity. When we think about it, wherever you use a DeFi protocol today, it's essentially collateralized. Right. But if you have to post a higher collateral than the money that you borrow, then it's not really capital efficient. So there is only two ways to essentially provide a collateral. If it's not to have a collateralized asset, the second way is to have on-chain identity. That's the second thing which we believe would be important. And the third thing which we think is, is going to be interesting is the recognition of smart contracts as an official transaction. Uh, last one, I think, which we already see in some of the Asian country is the recognition of STOs, right? So I think overall, the observation is there is a few enablers, regulatory enablers that are happening and all of those are starting to, I would say, see more clarity depending on the geographies. And if all of them are activated, then likely the playbook becomes much more interesting. Daniel, let's turn back to you. There's definitely one more fundamental area that we think deserves a whole lot more attention than this today. And it's the idea of technology or specifically cloud fluency. The idea goes something like this. As financial services and fintech build on the cloud, build on technology, again, we talk about this unique convergence of finance, technology, and money. Regulators look at the state of play. And when it comes to security and compliance conversations, the regulator almost always comes back to one very basic question. Do you know what you are doing? If so, prove it to me. And in order to evidence that, a big part about that is demonstrating that your leadership team, your managerial staff, uh, the rank and file employees, every single level of the organization understands the unique situation of working in financial services and technology at the same time. And in order to bridge that gap, we need a consistent pipeline and concerted action around developing technology fluency. So I'd like to call out two countries that have done this, taken this very seriously. And uh, the first is Hong Kong, uh, the second is Singapore. These two countries have clearly outlined 
that a series of competencies for different roles within a financial institution where they believe that this is the high bar that we set on uh, fluency and competency for this individual in this particular role within a, within a bank, for example, that will understand not just compliance requirements, but also the opportunities present in technology offered to financial services and developing that pipeline of professionals through rescaling, upskilling, even ensuring a pipeline of new talent into the industry that is more important than ever. So in order to develop that curriculum, that education pipeline, that talent upskilling and reskilling, we need a concerted action between the regulators, the financial and technology communities to identify what are some of these high bars in knowledges, competencies, and skills that can help drive the industry forward without compromising on the basic compliance, security, and resiliency requirements that financial institutions and fintechs alike have had to evidence to financial regulators since the dawn of the financial system. There's one area that we should pay more attention to. It is technology fluency and hopefully technology mastery. Well, with that, we will finish up today. Thank you very much, Daniel and Yuhang, for being with us today and for sharing your views from your positions at AWS and BCG. And thank you to those who have tuned in to this episode of FRT. We look forward to having you join us again on upcoming episodes. You can always check them out on the IAF website as well at IAF.com. <laughs>